Testament reading is found in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61. The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to preach good news to the poor. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim the freedom for the captives and release from darkness for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion, to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of gladness instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord's for the display of his splendor. For I, the Lord, love justice. I hate robbery and iniquity. In my faithfulness, I will reward them and make, and make an everlasting covenant with them. Their descendants will be known among the nations and their offspring among the peoples. All who see them will acknowledge that they are a people the Lord has blessed. I delight greatly in the Lord, for my soul rejoices in my God, for he has clothed me with garments of salvation and arrayed me in a robe of righteousness as a bridegroom adorns his head like a priest and as a bride adorns herself with her jewels. For as the soil makes the sprout come up and a garden causes seeds to grow, so the sovereign Lord will make righteousness and praise spring up before all nations. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God. God. Dear brothers and sisters, grace and peace are yours from our Lord Jesus Christ. Our Savior has come to set us free. I want to talk about freedom speeches today because we have a great freedom speech from Isaiah. And I want you to think about what freedom speeches truly do and, and the power that they hold. I want to start with a famous freedom speech, one that most of you know, even though I'm guessing that maybe none of us were there. I know I certainly wasn't. I wasn't even born yet. August 28th, 1963, Dr. Martin Luther King Jr. ascended the rostrum to, to speak to the march, for, uh, the march on Washington for Jobs and Freedom. He gave a famous speech that day that most of us know it's part of American legend. Most of us know that speech and we've heard it and you know how outstanding the rhetoric is in that speech, but not only the rhetoric, but also the message, and the words that he spoke. Toward the end of his prepared remarks, one of his friends who was sitting by, a gospel singer named Mahalia Jackson, called out to him. She said, tell him about the dream, Martin. And Martin Luther King Jr. launched into probably the most familiar part of the speech. Do you remember it? It started with these words. I'm not unmindful that some of you have come here out of great trials and tribulations. Some of you have come fresh from narrow jail cells. And some of you have come from areas where your quest, quest for freedom, left you battered by the storms of persecution and staggered by the winds of police brutality. You have been the veterans of creative suffering. Continue to work with the faith that unearned suffering is redemptive. Go back to Mississippi, back to Alabama, go back to South Carolina, go back to Georgia, go back to Louisiana, go back to the slums and ghettos of our American northern cities, knowing that somehow this situation can and will be changed. Let us not wallow in the valley of despair, I say to you. And even though we face the difficulties of today and tomorrow, I still have a dream. It is a dream deeply rooted in the American dream. I have a dream that one day this nation will rise up and live out the true meaning of its creed. We hold these truths to be self-evident, that all men are created equal. 
And then King would go on punctuating each sentence. I have a dream. I have a dream today. I have a dream. And as he went through each one of those, he built into this crescendo. And he, and he speaks of, of a day that will be better than the current day. And then he says, and this will be the day. This will be the day when all of God's children will be able to sing with new meaning, my country, tis of thee, sweet land of liberty, of thee I sing. Land where my fathers died, land of the pilgrim's pride. From every mountainside, let freedom ring. And if America is to be a great nation, this must become true. And he says, so then let freedom ring. And he goes through the mountaintops. Do you remember that? All through the mountaintops of New Hampshire, New York, Pennsylvania, and then down to Georgia, Tennessee, Mississippi. From every mountainside, he says, let freedom ring. And when this happens, when we allow freedom to ring, when we let it ring from every village and every hamlet, every city and every state, we will speed up that day when all God's children, black men and white men, Jews and Gentiles, Protestants and Catholics, will be able to join hands and sing in the words of the great Negro spiritual, free at last, free at last, great God Almighty, we are free at last. When King spoke those words, some might say he spoke them into existence. That his speech that day was, was transformative and that his speech that day was, was formative for the American society. And some would say that maybe we haven't come far enough. But King's speech is one which we understand. A freedom speech. He didn't just talk about freedom. He spoke freedom into existence. And we understand these words. They make sense to us because he delivered them in the American temple, right? The, the Washington Mall where the monuments of American freedom and liberty are stationed. He spoke them in the American temple. He spoke the great American words amalgamated and repurposed into a rallying cry that came from an American prophet. He spoke in nationalistic terms that people even to this day can understand and rally behind. They've become legendary for us. And even though we weren't that there that day, we can experience what it must have been like. Well, I want you to think about this great freedom speech from Dr. King because I want you to think about another freedom speech. Not given, not given in a nationalistic way to transform a society, but given in a different way by a prophet called by God. A prophet whose name was Isaiah. And that moment when Isaiah ascended the rostrum in front of the Israelite nation was a, a moment when he spoke freedom into existence. And, and for us, when we read them, the words of Isaiah 61 can, can almost seem stale and unfeeling. But if we will allow ourselves just for a moment to be inserted into that day, into that present reality into which Isaiah spoke, we can understand these words better and understand them not just as words spoken for the Israelite people of long ago, but spoken in the living word of God through the prophets for us today. That's what that freedom speech was meant to be. Isaiah the prophet was the messenger that day. The one who got up to speak was the right one because God had ordained him to this very moment. And so he starts off by saying, the spirit of Yahweh, the spirit of the sovereign Lord is upon me. And because the spirit of Yahweh was on him, because he knew God's calling and he knew that God had ordained him for this moment, he was unwavering in his assessment of the situation, unwavering in his assessment of the Israelite people because he saw clearly, because it was God's vision, not his own. And I believe when he spoke that day, he spoke in a way which was unwavering as well. 
unwavering because he knew that he wasn't speaking his own words. He knew that when he was speaking, he was speaking the very words of God that the Lord was speaking through him. Isaiah was the right messenger for that day. Isaiah was the right messenger, the one who had received his calling from the Lord, who knew the words of the Lord and who was willing to act accordingly. And the message that he declared that day was a message that would resonate with God's people. The people of the time were dealing with captivity and enslavement. That they had been carried off into captivity because of their own sins, because of the things that they had done against God, because God had allowed this to be the final way for them to gain their, the final way that God would use to gain their attention. But the destruction and captivity were terrible. And now the messenger comes to speak. And the words that he speaks to God's people are are words which proclaim good news. In fact, it starts off that very way. He has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor, and they were poor. They had had everything taken from them. And into into this poverty, God spoke. And he spoke of the great riches that would be theirs. Not just material blessings, but all the gifts of God. And that God was the one to deliver them. He was proclaiming good news to the poor. He was sent to bind up the brokenhearted. And there had been broken hearts. Fathers and mothers who had lost children in the struggles. Those who had died in their captivity. Those who had seemingly been lost. There's a tremendous amount of brokenheartedness among God's people. But here he was sent to bind them up. These who had lost everything, these whose lives were falling apart, were now gathered together, gathered up in God. And this is what Isaiah declared that day. Release from freedom. I'm sorry, I got ahead of myself there. Proclaim freedom for the captives. And this is really the crux of what he says. That though they had been in captivity, they were now going to be set free. They were now going to be set free to once again be a nation, to once again be the people of God. And he proclaims release from darkness for the prisoners. And think of how dark their dungeons had been. And he was sent to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor. They had experienced God's punishment. And this now was something different. The year of the Lord's favor that now they were able to dwell with God as their father, with God as their God. And as they experienced this, they also experienced God taking vengeance on his enemies, that they no longer had to fight, but that God was going to fight for them. And as God fought for them, they were now once again allowed to be free, allowed to just be a people and to not have to worry about what was happening. God had allowed this. And this is what the speech was about, that Isaiah was sent to comfort all of those who would mourn, to provide for all those who grieve. And he goes on this great litany to give them a crown of beauty, an oil of joy, a garment of praise that they would be seen as oaks of righteousness, symbols of strength, symbols of power, symbols of everything that they had not been for years and years. But now God would make it so. And you see, one of the things that punctuates this speech from Isaiah is the word will. Over and over again, he says will, that these things will happen because God has made this so. Isaiah assures his audience that these things will happen because these were God's words. And when God speaks, things happen. God had given him the vision and God had given him the words. And these words would make things happen. When Isaiah spoke them, he spoke them into existence. 
because he was speaking God's words. But we, we weren't there that day, were we? We didn't experience it the same way as the Israelite people. But I, I wanted you to experience just a little bit of what it must have been like that day, of how those words landed on the Israelite people. Because they are as valid today as they were back then. They're as valid today as the day that Isaiah spoke them. And the boldness of the prophet still rings forth from his assured words. These are the words of the Lord. The Lord has done this. And so we look with eyes of faith. And we see these words. The words of fulfilled promise. The words of freedom that God has spoken over his people. And we see that they don't only have meaning then in Isaiah's time. But we see a new prophet Another prophet coming in the name of the Lord, coming as one who is ordained by the Lord for a very moment such as this. It's another prophet who's speaking. And the prophet's name is Jesus. The rostrum from which he speaks that day is in his own hometown of Nazareth. It's recorded for us in Luke chapter 4. And he takes the scroll of the prophet Isaiah and he speaks those words. He reads those words to the people. And then it says this, then he rolled up the scroll, gave it back to the attendant and sat down. That was their posture for teaching. The eyes of everyone in the synagogue were fastened on him. And he began by saying to them, today, this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. The people of Jesus' day really liked to hear those words. Those words really resonated with them right up until the time when he began to explain to them that this wasn't just for the Israelite people. You see, they had trouble seeing beyond their own doormats. Jesus told them these words would be words for all people, as they had always been, that God was acting on behalf of all people, that this was God's activity. When they hear these words, they don't like them. They, They won't hear them. In fact, they take Jesus to the edge of a cliff and they attempt to throw him down. They sought to kill Jesus that day because they couldn't hear his words. Or maybe better said, because they wouldn't hear his words. Because these words didn't apply to them. You see, they couldn't see their own captivity. They couldn't see the dungeons and the darknesses that were created by their sins. They refused to admit those things. They couldn't hear the words of the Lord. And brothers and sisters, may may this never be spoken of us. May it never be said that we couldn't hear the words of the Lord because we refuse to acknowledge our sin. In fact, on the opposite, we are to hear the call of repentance, the call that speaks to us in our sins and calls us out because freedom is being spoken into existence. Yet we are being called out of our sins, which means that we're called to acknowledge them. We're called to acknowledge our need for a Savior. And we feel the crushing weight of our sins. We don't need to despair. Instead, we can hear the words of that prophet. That same prophet spoke that day and was rejected in Nazareth. He spoke again. He ascends to deliver a speech. He uses precious few words. He speaks only seven times. And it's punctuated with this statement. It is finished. It is finished, he declares. It's Jesus from the cross. And he speaks these words into existence. As he dies for our sins, as he dies for us, we realize that we have been transformed, that the Spirit of the Lord had anointed him for just this moment, that he would be our Savior, 
that he would be the one to set us free from our sins. Brothers and sisters, because of what Jesus did that day, we are set free. In fact, we might say during this season that the word made flesh has spoken these words into existence. And so out of praise for our God, we also can join hands and sing. We can sing those, those famous words for each one of us. We can sing that our sin has been paid for, that we are now free. And we can sing, free at last, free at last, great God Almighty. He has set us free at last. Brothers and sisters, you are free. Your sin has been paid for. The word made flesh has spoken this into existence. Praise be to Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen.